Welcome to the podcast. My name's Todd Fraser. Anders Perner is the Professor of Intensive Care Medicine at the University of Copenhagen. He chairs the Scandinavian Critical Care Trials Group and the strategic research program New Resuscitation Strategies in Patients with Severe Sepsis. As many listeners would also know, he is the principal investigator of the well-known 6S trial that examined the role of starch in resuscitation of severely septic patients. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, Anders, why did your group decide that you needed to go ahead and perform the 6S trial? What was the background to that? It was um, a feeling, first of all, a feeling of a fairly large use of uh, starch in ICU patients um, with uh, the bicep trial indicating potential problems with the former generation starch and, and some of us really didn't believe the reassurances by the company that the newer generation was, was safer, at least the, the data to indicate that was, we felt, poor. So, so based on that, we started a research program first assessing current practice, and, and which, which confirms <clears throat> that starch was the uh, preferred colloid in uh, Scandinavian ICUs, and because of the concern, uh, it was quite obvious for us that we should do a high-quality, low-risk-of-bias trial to, to assess uh, potential effects and side effects of, of this current practice uh, drug. You mentioned that it was one of the most common fluids used in, in your region at the time. Was it very difficult for you to achieve a consensus that there was equipoise, if that was the case? Yeah, I think a lot of people initially bought in on the idea that 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 this this would be important um, that to look at colloid therapy. So so I guess it it was fairly easy to get people on board on the full full research program, and and once the results started coming up, uh, they they continued to to buy in and. And the majority participated in the trial as well. So, so uh, even though it was standard practice for many, they, most people were happy to to trial it. I would imagine another fairly important factor would have been the fairly seismic shift in the landscape that occurred in 2010, when a number of papers published by Joachim Bolt were retracted from publication. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that episode and what happened? The um, so th- this was during our trial. Concern was raised about a publication in Anesthesia and Anesthesia uh, from Joachim Bolt that, that, as I know, two independent researchers questioned the low, very low variability of some of his uh, outcome measures uh, in that starch uh, trial. <clears throat> And the editor of Anesthesia and Anesthesia um, um, tracked this down, and, and finally it was revealed that there was, at least there were, was no ethical approval for that trial, and, and potentially the, uh, the patients had never existed. So, so potentially this, these data was uh, made up. In any case, the... Uh, 
trial was retracted, and, and this launched an effort by several editors of uh, journals where Bolt had published papers to uh, go back, assist the trials they had published, ask the ethical committee in Germany <coughs> for confirmation of approval, and finally, I think close to 80 papers was retract were rejected because there were no ethical approvals of uh, those trials. And that overnight removed one-third of all patients randomized to the new generation starch. Um, it actually didn't change the point estimates of, of those initial assessments of meta-analysis initially. So initially it was thought that the the impact on evidence was, uh, at least on, on on hard endpoints, was minor. Um, but in, in our region here, in our trial, among our investigators, there, there was, uh, I think, a lot of people who had used art felt ashamed that, that they used a therapy which part, partly was based on fraud. So so for us, it's, it uh, the inclusion rate, rate picked up. People really now wanted to answer this question and finalize the trial. Um, eventually, the, <clears throat> the effect of false work may be more uh, problematic in, in as one of the recent uh, high-quality meta-analyses show that if you uh, exclude false work, the point estimate for mortality actually gets uh, obtain statistical significance, and therefore, uh, looking back, those results did affect, or did affect the the pooled um, estimate for mortality. Anders, how did you construct your trial? Can you tell us a bit about the success trial? Um, so first, we, we it was a research program where we first assessed uh, a survey among potential sites, how, how did they use it, and, and had, did they have any contraindications for stocks and any concerns? Um, basically, people had very little, uh, very little contraindications. They, they would happily give it to almost anyone. Um, and I was, personally, I was highly influenced by by uh, the work that I had done in at Royal North Shore with Simon Finfor and 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 the Australians in general influenced me to to very much do a pragmatic trial where you change one thing, uh, let people what, do what they normally do, um, at a reasonable size, and and then look at uh, patient-centered uh, outcome measures. Uh, the ambition was to to have the highest quality. Because we knew it, that we we could have end up with having a conflict with industry because of the results, so it was very important for us to have the highest methodological uh, quality of the trial to to strengthen the overall results. Finally, so pragmatic in uh, at the bedside, but methodologically methodologically uh, the highest quality. Both the CHEST study and the SIXES study have been criticised by some because of their pragmatic approach, that they were overly pragmatic in that 
no protocols were developed for mm. um, for the use of fluids or for uh, for the goal direction of, of those those fluids. Mm. How do you feel about those criticisms? Um, I think they they are welcome. The, the criticism is, is welcome, but actually, I would turn it around. I, I think it's a strength of both trials that the external validity is high because the the fluids uh, were used as in clinical practice in the participating units and and as in both trials there are many participating units in several countries I think the external validity of of those trial results are high because of that so I think it's a strength and Anders what were the results of the trial when once you released the results um, so most important 90-day mortality was increased in the uh, um, starch group, uh, an alarming relative risk increase of 17%, translating into a number needed to harm of only 13. Um, also, the use of renal replacement therapy um, was increased in the starch group. Uh, the the use of bar products was increased. The uh, risk of bleeding and severe bleeding was increased. Um, surprisingly, the fluid volumes and fluid balances in general were comparable between the two groups. So it, it didn't appear that the, at least as used in our trial, the, the choroid resuscitation resulted in, in less uh, fluid given. Um, Interestingly, the mortality, excess mortality occurred late after day 20. Um, we have done subsequent analysis indicating that the combination of severe bleeding and, and renal impairment and renal replacement therapy uh, explains uh, at least partly uh, those late deaths. In my opinion, and this is a bit uh, speculative. The, there's an immediate immediate effect of uh, hemostasis causing increased bleeding and increased use of blood product. There's an immediate effect on on kidney function, resulting in more use of renal patient therapy. But the consequences of of, of those uh, events are, translate into late mortality because we are are good at keeping people alive in the ICU, so we struggle for weeks and and then uh, I guess we give up and, and then people die. And as some concerns have been raised or, or it's been noted at least that certain parameters of resuscitation such as CVP, central venous oxygen saturations and lactate were unchanged in both groups um, from baseline to the 24-hour mark. And it's been suggested that this is either evidence that they weren't resuscitated properly or that they didn't need it to start with. What are your thoughts mm. on that? So first of all, the, the, um, <clears throat> in general, the use of, of both central venous pressure and central venous oxygen saturation was less, as less than half of, of the patient had those assessments. So, so the data uh, are less valid um, and and I think it's 
fair to say that neither of those resuscitation parameters are perfect, and, and I guess that's why clinicians don't, the majority of clinicians don't use them. In any case, the choice of both starting fluid resuscitation and, and the goals for resuscitations are complex, um, and the evidence to use single markers are still fairly poor. Uh, so I guess most clinicians use a combination of markers, both to initiate and, and, and for the target. Um, an alternative explanation is that, that there is very little, if any, differences in, in uh, fluid potency among starch and, and crystalloids, which I think is supported by the results of the other trials. Um, in general, in comparison of crystalloids and colloids, there is very, very little differences in hemodynamics uh, between patients groups. So at least in the very sick patients, maybe this colloid effect Protective um, colloid effect is, is minor if, if there is any. And as I'm aware that you um, had some anxious moments following the publication of the trial in which uh, it was inadvertently misidentified that the starch used was a 130 on 0.4, not 0.42. What can you tell me about that uh, episode? Um, I mean, we decided early that, that there was, I. I and I still believe that scientifically there is, I mean, there is um, little base to give those uh, substitution rates with the precision that the companies do, because neither of them can produce starches with a very precise both molecular weight or substitution ratio. So, so. And the SPC for volume, they, they give a range 0 0.382, 0 0.45. So they themselves give a rate, a, a range, because they, they cannot produce it with the, uh, with the precision they claim. Um, so we thought that, that it, it makes little sense to give the precision. We'll just quote slash 04 uh, and no further digits because uh, of the uh, based on based on, on on that, but it appeared there was a legal issue uh, as uh, for seniors have uh, the um, have legal rights to to any product with a substitution rate of 0 0.40 and below. So the other companies producing starch have to to claim that they produce a starch with a higher substitution ratio, so otherwise they'll get into trouble, the legal trouble. And, and I guess that's what we did as well. So I understand that the manufacturers didn't want their product to be associated with the results of this trial, is that right? I assume that, that, that that's, that's how they... Uh, why, um, why they did what they did. 
And is, um, the results of your trial have, are obviously consistent with the findings in the subgroup analysis in BICEP and also with the, the CHEST study, but uh, the mortality rate was higher in yours than in the CHEST study. I was just wondering what you feel are the differences that led to those uh, different results. I think we included a, a much sicker group. So on most parameters... Uh, it's, it's clear that, that our patients uh, were sicker uh, and they received more fluid and, and they had worse outcomes, outcomes on, on all assessed parameters. So it was a sicker group, which, which I think was good for the trial result. It, it, we had more events to measure, uh, so therefore our results are are more clear. And as um, the results of the um, 6S trial and the, the CHESS trial and the suggestive data from VICEP, uh, it does appear that, um, that starches are on the way out. Um, do you think it remains possible that a different type of starch might in fact be useful? I think um, history indicates otherwise. I, I mean, this the, if you go 40 years back, the, the produced starches uh, had a much higher molecular weight and substitution ratio, and they were both reduced in steps of either three or four times where producers reduced both the molecular weight and substitution ratios, but the same side effect have, has, have remained, so being bleeding, kidney failure, and pruritus. So, so in my opinion, there is little difference in the side effects uh, dependent on, on molecular weight or substitution ratio. So, so I think it's a um, generic. Uh, these side effects are generic to starch, and, and I cannot see that reducing molecular weight or substitution ratio further uh, we'll the other observation that's been made is that both of these trials were conducted in patients in the intensive care unit, so presumably after some degree of resuscitation, and included patients with, uh, I think, only 25% of the patients in both trials came from the emergency department. Do you think that the results are generalisable to patients with sepsis outside the ICU and hospital environment? Yeah, yeah, I... I cannot see that the pathological differences on one hand and the side effects observed on the other hand would would differ to the uh, uh, extent where potential the potential effects and side effects of starch would be different. Is there an understanding of how starches cause this harm? Um, I guess increasingly, um, and I, I think it's it's twofold, it's or two ways. It's it's there is a direct effect on coagulation, uh, so it marks up with probably the fibrinogen networking during clot buildup, and therefore it causes uh, um, bleeding and increased use of clot um, products. That's one side, and the other side is tissue deposition. 
uh, tissue uptake. So even in healthy volunteers, as much as half of given starch cannot be accounted for at 24 hours, meaning that it has left the circulation and entered tissue, and, and here it cannot be degraded. Um, and this most likely cause at least kidney failure, but may also cause chronic inflammation because it's a foreign body in, in other tissues. Um, so I think when you put it all together, the, those two explanations are the most likely. It sounds from your answers that you feel that the research into starch-based fluids has essentially come to an end. Do you think that there is anywhere left to explore or is it time for starch to be taken off the market? In my opinion, yes, the latter, but, but uh, I think the, the European Medicines Agency have, have given the, uh, the companies uh, an opportunity to do trials in perioperative care, uh, and to my understanding, they will do that. Anders Perna, thank you so much for your time. No worries. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why not check out our websites, Critique and Crit Nurse. Our websites are leading providers of online critical care education and include podcasts, journal clubs, online presentations, modules and much, much more. You can also join our free blog to help you stay up to date. Our websites are found at www.crit-iq.com and www.crit-nurse.com You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or visit us at the iTunes store. While you're there, check out our data interpretation and CT interpretation apps. Critique, making critical care education easier.